Welcome to Alfalfa, a free-flowing, irreverent, digestible, somewhat degenerate crypto podcast for all, powered by Collective Shift. Entrepreneurs and investors Armand Asadi, Nick Urbani, Steven Cesaro, and Eric Johansson dive deep into crypto, blockchain, DeFi, NFTs, the metaverse, and Web3, all while layering in the latest in tech, money, and politics, feeding you the alpha you need to grow. Make sure to check out CollectiveShift.io for crypto insights and alerts and use code ALFALFA for 50% off your first month. A friendly but serious reminder, this is not financial advice and is for entertainment only. Do your own research. Also, please subscribe to the show and tell your DGEN friends all about us. Now let us begin. Top announcements are just uh, housekeeping. Um, subscribe on YouTube. We're publishing these on YouTube uh, pretty much a day after. And it uh, feels like you're a part of the fun when you're watching the video. Um, follow us on Twitter. Yeah. Posting there now. Posting some uh, little notes in between shows, some clips. And then definitely leave a review on um, on Apple Podcasts. We've been loving the funny, funny-ass reviews and the we feedback. Do have any new ones for today? Yes. Oh man, what was it? We have to read. One, we have you? to read them. Yes, yes. <laughs> what was the one you shared? Some really good one. The other day. Uh, I'll I'll pull it out. I'll right actually pull it up and maybe we one. can. Uh, that there was two really good ones actually. Maybe we read them both. Well, we only have two reviews. You can't burn them. No, we got like seven <laughs> or five, which is why which is why we need more of your reviews, and we'll read them on the show. So yeah. actually what I can do is I can, uh, we have eight. We can um, open it. Alfalfa up. is the yin to my yang, the coffee to my cigarette, the oh, save to my right click. <laughs> Let's see if I can pull up. Uh, the coffee to my cigarette. I love that as I smoke this thing. Keep going. Isn't there more? <laughs> no, that was it. Yeah. yeah. I have a hard time grasping crypto and NFTs, even though I've started dabbling a little bit into it all. Uh, these four dudes found a way to break it down a fun, intelligent, and elementary way. Uh, Crypto Kebab has it. Well, this is a long review. Uh, Crypto Kebab has become a great podcast interviewer. He references you as the Persian Tim Ferriss. Oh, man. Oh, I love it. Yeah. Crypto CFA has a well balanced perspective translating this brave. I feel like this person might know us translating this brave new world of finance for the traditional minded folks like myself. Um, the DeFi Lord knows okay. crypto better than most people I've listened to and how to relate to the global economy and politics. Uh, I said, sure uh, Talapino is a walking encyclopedia on anything global finance and business. I feel his distaste <laughs> for dogmatic behaviors in today's ever growing dogmatic landscape. And I feel wiser <laughs> after listening. So anyway, so that's a pretty epic, so uh, good. epic review. So good. good one. Um, so yeah, to do oh, that, my man, Robin, Robin Gerlach, shout out. Yeah, big shout out. So to do that, you just head to Apple Podcast search, and when the show comes up, there's like a little review section. I was trying to show it on screen, but I can't multitask. And then on Spotify, I don't think you can leave a review yet, but you can like rate us. So you can leave five stars, bonus points for that. But we'll keep reading these out on the show every week. That was a really funny one. Um, any other housekeeping? think that's it for now. All right. So what's on your mind, boys? Are you guys wanting to dive into looks rare? Well, I have the, uh, I have the quote uh, on Dex Guru up at all times just to, so I can buy this dip. Yeah, I have Uniswap loaded. 
<laughs> with the purchase just waiting and uh, still waiting. You're going to so, oh get God, a chance around 6 p.m. tomorrow again, I think. It just yeah. jumped like 30% in the last 20 minutes. Okay, nobody has any Bro, idea. Bro, I was going to buy yesterday about. at $2, <laughs> and you know what I did? I sat there. I spent two hours trying to make a video for fucking Jonathan, and then like when I finished the video, it was 3 bucks, and I was like, I was recording the video, and I pulled it up, and I was like, and I was going to buy this and now it's up 38 oh shit so let's see uh this looks rare uh for anyone people who are are watching the the youtube videos uh, armand's got a little screencast up but essentially they uh, create a decentralized marketplace um airdrop to any OpenSea user who had traded at least three eth on OpenSea. and they have a unique model in the sense that a hundred percent of the transaction fees uh, go to the users, to the to the token holders, and it goes um, to token holders by the method of staking. Um, there are also some additional rewards to stakers. They're giving some um, incentives um, for staking, and then I believe there's a mm-hmm. if you actually trade on there, whether you purchase or sell, um, there are also some rewards you can claim based on the, upon the volume um, that you. Uh, that you trade. And then of course, just simple uh, liquidity mining. You can provide liquidity on Uniswap. Ethan and looks is the pair. Um, let's see what else. I think the, the fees are lower than this on OpenSea. Instead of being two and a half percent, they're, they're 2%. Um, mm-hmm. They also have some interesting market want, making. Want to give you the whole spiel. Yeah. You want to go through the tokenomics? Let's just, do it. Just run it down. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I, I, I looked into this a lot yesterday. Um, Let's pull up the, the... The general gist of the bullet point features, right? So the main, main bullet point feature, 100% of fees are shared with the community, which is pretty wild, uh, which is pretty wild. Um, and the fees are 2% instead of 2.5%. So it we, might not um, seem like a lot, before, but when you're, when you're selling like 300K JPEGs, it's, it's, you know, it's quite a bit. Before you get deeper in the features, can you um, talk about why it even matters that we're talking about this? Like, uh, I think um, setting the context, yeah. like against how how well OpenSea's done, its valuation and stuff, and and why we're actually interested in in looking further at this, I think matters. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I actually, if I'm being totally honest with you guys, I, I, I missed when we hit the uh, record button and started the uh, the podcast. So. <laughs> oh yeah, we're in it. Buddy. <laughs> Oh yeah, I was just, just trying to fix my camera here, and then suddenly I realized we're <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're, we're live. I will never um, warn you guys. Just so you know, <laughs> that's fine. Uh, yeah, I mean, quick quick backstory on this. Um, OpenSea for any anybody who's vaguely familiar with NFTs knows OpenSea by by far and away largest marketplace for NFTs on the planet. Um, do enormous volume, just the absolute gigantic lion's share of volume. But the community has had like a bit of an anxious relationship with OpenSea because OpenSea is, you know, they, they got the kind of private VC back thing going on. Um, there's no token. All the fees go to, to OpenSea. Uh, but, but, but beyond that, there's just been sort of like a general feeling that OpenSea is not really into the community kind of feels like they don't care sometimes mm-hmm. and the rate of development seems really lackluster like we've had the same open sea basically for 
forever at this point. And it's, it, it, it leaves a lot to be desired. The API is terrible for anybody who uses that. It goes down constantly. It's, it's well, the always whole site bugs, goes always down crashing. all the time for everybody. Nothing indexes yeah, in real there, time. There's just basic yeah. features that should be there that don't exist, right? So there's there's been like a general sentiment for a while that, man, if somebody just launched a, a decentralized OpenSea competitor, which does seem like the most obvious play in the world, at least at a high level, I, it would be successful, especially if they did a sushi swap type vampire attack with a with a token and a, and a good tokenomics model. And I, I think it probably took a while for us to get here because it's a lot harder, I think, to build one of these marketplaces than it is to just rip off Uniswap. Hmm. And it, developing is is hard as it as it turns out. Um, but, you know, here we are. We launched it was yesterday. It was yesterday yeah. the first day? In crypto time and, feels like five days. Yeah, and to, today was nuts. I mean, the the volume was much larger than <laughs> OpenSea today by by a lot. What? Although we should. No way. Yeah, yes, here. but yep. but. <laughs> so yeah, so so looks did way more volume than OpenSea today. Way more. Armand, but they did it with one fiftieth the number of active traders. Which tells you something fishy might be going on. People are washing trades this thing or something. People I don't are know. wash trading, yeah. So if you if you look at just the general feed, you're gonna see people are not even trying to hide it, right? There are there are floor me bits that the same two wallets are selling back and forth to each other for like two hundred ETH mm-hmm. over and over again. Last I checked, like a couple hours ago, there was there was like ninety thousand ETH in, in trading volume and we're probably Mm. Um, beyond that right now and, and yeah and just the, for the reason for that's happening is yeah yeah go the, ahead the, the, there's a there's a reward structure with the, the token so they're giving out right. incentives for people who buy and sell nfts and somebody did the math on this and basically realized that at you know at, at, i i i did a calculation on it this morning actually to get an exact number and i, I think this morning when i pulled it up if the token price was just, I think, 280 or higher, as long as we stayed below 90,000 ETH in trading volume, it was massively plus EV to just wash trade with yourself. Um, <laughs> Look at this. It, it, like, it looked like you could basically make like 10% rake back in a way on all of your all of your fees. So if you traded like $20 million in a day or something, which is not as outrageous as it, as it sounds if you're just wash trading 200 ETH back and forth with, with yourself. Uh, you, could, you could make like, you know, $2 million in, in, in token rewards. But I was watching this all day because I was, I was thinking about doing it. But I had, a, I had a sneaking suspicion that by the end of the day, uh, everybody would really be catching on to this. And the, the incentive structure is such that it, it, it calculates your rewards like as of like the last, like it's not the last 24 hours. It's like a set 24 hour block. Right. So if, if there's like 30 minutes of, of trading left and you realize that, you know, we're, we're only, we're way below the threshold where wash trading is profitable. Like in the last five minutes, you could just slam like a million dollars of like wash trades back and forth and basically like guarantee, you know, that you're going to, lock in like a pretty juicy profit there. The risk if you do this is that everybody does it and then you end up paying 
more in fees um, and in and, and, and gas than the, the, the token rewards that you get because we end up basically it, it divides the number of tokens by the total volume, right? So if the total volume is like a hundred million and you're 1% of the volume, then you get 1% of the tokens is how it works. And there's big rewards for the next 30 days. So the, these shenanigans are going to keep happening. Yeah. And then I, I believe right. it halves the next month and halves the month after that. So, but I think um, the driving yeah, pretty, point is, pretty nice let's, let's kind of take this in stages, guys, like because I'm even lost somewhere mm-hmm. where like we're way in the weeds. Right. So this is an NFT platform that has is pulling off a vampire attack, something akin to like what SushiSwap did to Uniswap last year against the number one NFT platform that has like the entire market share, which is OpenSea, that everyone already has like a bit of a sour relationship with. I think everyone's been waiting for that killer, we could almost say. And there's definitely not like a positive sentiment in crypto, Twitter, or Discord about OpenSea, particularly after the fact that they decided that they aren't going to do a token and they're going to go public. And so I think we've all been waiting for like, all right, who's going to do this? And OpenDAO came out and it was like, no project here, <laughs> no, no, nothing, just a token. And then here comes Looks Rare in the beginning of the year, drops a token that's worth already double what the OpenDAO one was worth at least. And they have a working functional platform. One of the really cool things about it too that I thought was just simple and clever is in order to claim your airdrop, you have to list the NFT. So day one, they already created like enough of a marketplace to get going. So I guess kind of to take it in stages, what is your guys' perspective um, just really on the on first, just like the platform itself and how how important do you guys think that is? Like the 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 I've I've told you guys separately offline, like my gripes with like the functionality and the UI right. of the platform. Like how important is that? What do you guys think? I, I think some of the it was important that they released a new feature or something that was unique to their platform that didn't exist on on OpenSea. Um, just so you could see that people were not just getting up something that's, you know, can can list and purchase, but that people were listening to the community. The team was listening to the community. But I think they may be facing what OpenSea faced early on is that they probably had a backlog, you know, of new features they want to add. And then they start getting traffic and they realize that they're going to have to build up, you know, infrastructure, stuff that you don't really want to work on as a product manager, but you're going to have to spend a lot of your devs time building up for infrastructure to handle the load that these sites uh, have to handle. And so, you know, they, I was looking at the team, the team structure is built to ship product. I mean, they got front end engineers, back end engineers, um, Solidity developers, designers, so they should be ready to rock. But we'll see if they get overloaded by, you know, the performance issues and and the you know, when you have a, a product that doesn't have as much scale, your edge cases are really just a few people having bugs. You know, for example, people with Trezors not being able to sign the transaction. But when all of a sudden when you have millions of users um, coming to your product, your edge cases are ten thousand people, and they start to make noise. And start to cause issues. So we'll see if they can get through, you know, constantly building up the infrastructure to handle this uh, performance, and if they can start uh, shipping new features. And if they can do that, if they can show that they're innovating faster mm. than OpenSea, they got a good chance to to build a story. And, and to what Stephen was mentioning earlier, whether it's wash trading or not, the fact that they're able to show charts and show traction <clears> where there's trading volume is, is pretty impressive to start. And I think will maybe, you know, kind of create some self-fulfilling prophecy. People see trading volume, then they trade more volume. They feel more comfortable with it. So I don't know. That was my initial 
impression on it. Pretty impressive. They had new features, yeah. but this is that zone where now they're getting hammered with traffic and see if they can kind of keep up with the pace. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm really uh, glad you brought up the, uh, the team because that was right. on my, you know, yeah. big list of, I didn't even what know to look into was there. Yeah. So, no, nobody on the team is, nobody on the team is doxxed, right? It's a whole, all on team. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Which has it its on the screen right drawbacks now. and it's, it's benefits. Um, I think like you said, Nick, like the, the, the biggest risk here is just that I think a lot of people in, in, in crypto really undervalue the importance of, of shipping and like how difficult it actually is to, to ship stuff, especially when you're talking about, you know, apps that are orders of magnitude more complicated than some of the, the DeFi protocols that exist out there that are Right, really basic, have very minimal features, and are just sort of focused around like not losing users' money, which is is great, but it's, it leaves a lot to be desired. But you, you were saying you you looked into it a little bit, and you 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 think the the structure of the team in terms of just how it's organized is is, is clearly designed, you know, in a in, in a way that makes sense, and about by somebody who's who's built something like this before. Yeah. I mean, you, you look at the team structure, it's not like three co-founders and like, I'm the tech guy, I'm the marketing guy, and I'm the finance guy. You know, you have a uh, backend engineer, two front-end engineers, um, two Solidity engineers, a tech lead, a product manager, and a designer. And that's like, you know, if you're going to kind of build um, a Skunk Works team uh, inside of a big company, that's kind of the team you'd squad you'd put together. You know, Skunk Works team is a team inside of a company. It's kind of like a special forces team. You know, they have unlimited budget. They work on special projects. Um, they can kind of start and stop projects as they see fit. But, you know, when I've been inside of companies and we had Skunk Works team, this is the kind of setup that you would put together um, that kind of team that can kind of get anything done. So whether these are actually real people or not, whether those are, you know, it's interesting. They put their GitHub repo so you yeah. could see the commits they've made. Um, you know, uh, specifically new, for the though, tech lead and engineers. Yeah, some of them may not have have like actual commits to code, but in any case, um, you know, again, we don't know who these people are or if they're actually real, but the team structure seems seems to make sense. And hopefully, these back engineers know how to um, manage server volumes because oh boy, hmm. they're probably getting a crash course if they don't uh, right now. Um, but yeah, my God. yeah, I just have any idea how big OpenSea's team is. In comparison, I think they have a hundred people, if I'm not mistaken. Nice. I think. Yeah, I would I could have just so. pulled that number out of my ass, but that was the number that that came to me in my brain. I just went to go look on uh, LinkedIn and realize I never use I think LinkedIn, and there's it'll be messages here. <laughs> it would be very impressive of Looks Rare to be able to, and it, and it would say a lot if they were able to to innovate and iterate and react to like user feedback quickly enough because I think that the number one thing that's most interesting for me about this project is how user focused it is. And I think people were craving that and want that. And especially the possibility of a decentralized open sea is like really exciting to people, not just governance, but participation, the rewards. Uh, I mean, there's so many cool features about it, right? Like my, my, my favorite is like the collection offer. Like how sick is that to be able to just go in and make one offer to the entire collection or the or the no feed private trading? Another use case that's like huge between people. Um, so some really cool features that is probably only the beginning of. 
And, and notice how, those, how, those how strange is it are though, particularly though, good at like, creating markets. You know, that's a that's a market making feature because they want the ability for uh, the bid on the order book side to fill up with orders. It may be lower than you think, but at least it starts the formation of a, of a market, which is tough in these kind of situations to, to build initially. Eric, I, I thought it was really strange that on the one hand, they've built these really good and cool features, right? The collection yeah. bid is like a super useful feature. Um, but then they didn't build in the ability to sort NFTs by lowest price yeah <laughs> which basically makes it completely unusable for the user right like i was going in there trying to buy something so and i'm like wait a minute i i, I can't sort this so <laughs> that was a very strange like juxtaposition to me. i just <laughs> to hate like, the okay, navigation so- i hate it i hate everything about like what do you, I do you hate it or are you right just now? so used to open sea that your brain kind of hates it, but maybe it's not that bad. So I thought about this a lot, Stephen. I think that's a very fair question. I think it's both, <laughs> but I think that there's a fundamental part of me as a technology user that is always open to a new UI that is better, faster, or more intuitive. And that is not the case here. There's so many times that I've come across like a competitor who simply levels it up and does a better job. And and then I go and I rave to people about it. I tell people about it. I'm like, this is a better experience. You know it when you feel it the first time you're there. My brain looks at this website and it just, it it can't process where to even begin. So I think that there's a weak, that's that's the biggest weakness for me by far. And I would hope because I want somebody to win, actually, I want what I ultimately think is the biggest win here too as a user is like the competitiveness to finally arrive like in this space of like NFT exchanges and and like marketplaces. It's been all OpenSea. So like that's just going to make OpenSea better. It's going to make Coinbase better. It's going to make them all so much better. I'm actually... I think Coinbase will end up doing the best job, but hey, this is what we have right now. We'll see. Eric, can you test your mic? Because I can't hear you. Yeah, still. where is Eric's voice? It's a good. You guys all made oh, good points. I think it's important, uh, really, to remember that this is this is day two. This is day two of the platform, and I don't know if you guys followed uh, this uh, Twitter user Daniel One Hundred ETH. He sold his mm-hmm. CryptoPunk to uh, and put sixty seven <laughs> ETH into uh, into Looks token. Yeah, And, you know, he was like, he's putting out his bull thesis. I think the bull thesis is pretty clear, but he was dealing with, with like uh, feedback, like FUD feedback. And somebody goes, you literally bought at 10 or 20 times the price of influencers. The market can't be sorted by price, like Steven said. Uh, buy transactions, use 40% more gas than OpenSea. And you can't enter 0.1 into a field. You have to type 0.1. And Daniel100.eth goes, Dude, it's literally day one. All of this can be fixed. There's like always going to be people who invested before you. Like imagine hating on a marketplace that actually represents Web3 and gave you free money. And um, all you have to do is type a zero. Like this is ridiculous. <laughs> That's a fair can counter. Can we? Yeah. And Eric, can you, can we pull the CFA part and just start talking about how we would go about value? You know, now that we've go, went over the the how the project looks in, in general it would be nice to get your mind on how to approach um valuing this you know because the token yeah, could be three dollars a hundred dollars but really talk to start market cap comparisons i think, think we had a good back and forth in our in our group 
text. I think uh, the simple way to look at it is compared to OpenSea. OpenSea has 14 billion in revenue last year. Um, so when you're talking about a vampire attack, that's like a pretty good market to attack. Um, and when you're looking at the market cap of LooksDAO, at least yesterday when it launched, when we were looking at it, it was it was like 50 million or something. I think it's it's uh, much higher now. What is it? 300? 300 yeah. million? 300 circulating, uh, $300 million market cap circulating in something like uh, 3 billion fully diluted. Fully diluted. Yeah. And I, I'm, I've kind of like thought about that market cap versus fully diluted um, valuation and which one seems to be more uh, applicable here. I think it's important that the, the, the tokenomics um, make it so that the circulating supply is going to be pretty low for a, for a while. Um, like the, it didn't give the founders a bunch of tokens right off the bat that they can just dump. Mm-hmm. They're locked up for 180 days. So it's going to be uh, tokens trickling out to actual users, making the platform more valuable inherently as more people use the platform. So I'm, I'm actually pretty bullish on, I mean, obviously we're all pretty bullish, but I think like uh, it's uh, a reason to use market cap instead of fully diluted value. And you could even argue that at 3 billion fully diluted, it's, it could still be undervalued if you consider that NFTs are still a growing marketplace and like, you know, maybe OpenSea is even undervalued. Right. I, mean, I think he's definitely undervalued, right? Like yeah. for sure. Because you said what with thirteen bill last year, but they're they're going to do like four or five billion this month alone, probably right, wow. if not more. So yeah, they grew. They, they grew. They got to be like a sixty X. billion dollar company now. The the Series C, which just they announced the close of, was, uh, was a thirteen point three billion dollar valuation. But you know, we were talking on the group thread that if they went public, a thirty billion dollar valuation is definitely not out of the, you know. I mean, yeah, it seems like ask. a drop in the bucket. Now, right, a company that grows revenue at 600x year over year doesn't get valued at one-time sales. Like one-time sales, <laughs> I, I, I threw it in the chat. That's like an old, mature, like serial business. That's like, you know, that's that's not how these things get valued in the tech world. Not so, if you have an yeah. overall tide that's growing, you know, like mm-hmm. 100 x 50x, um, plus, you know, looks as a company. If it can keep up the volume, I mean, the first day at launch, even when people weren't figuring out the wash trades, there were some hours where it was up to like 75% of the, of the trading volume of OpenSea. So we'll see how this thing progresses. But certainly, I think Mm -hmm. the conclusion we came to in the thread was that, you know, there's a lot of things that could go wrong with this project from the team to the product to just the overall market could, could be an issue. But when you look at it, a risk reward, um, you know, you could lose all of it, but it also could be a 10, 10x plus. I don't know where we decided on the, on the potential upside, but, you know, just looking at if it got up to the OpenSea valuation, which these kind of, you know, OpenSea's valuation is currently made of a market of institutional investors. And right now this market is made up of retail investors and institutional investors. And like we know, you know, some of these tokens can pull a full meme, you know, rocket moon, you know, move. And this could be one of those that could certainly um, shoot past like a, you know, a reasonable valuation. So it seems like the risk reward is potentially here and, and uh, it makes sense to invest when, um, you know, things aren't worked out. There are, there are risks and concerns. Um, Steven, what do you think about the tokenomics in general? Like the way that they were structured, the way that things phase, phase in, did it look sensible? Um, 
you know, and no, no traps in there. I, I think generally speaking, everything is for the most part, really, really good. Tokenomics are always a tricky thing. Right. And also nobody's really figured them out yet anywhere. It's like sort of this like moving target that we keep uh, iterating on. Um, when you have a platform like this, right, you have this chicken and egg effect where you need people to buy stuff, but nobody can buy anything <laughs> if any, if nobody lists and you need people to list stuff, but nobody wants to list anything if there are no users to buy. So how do you solve that problem? And it, you know, it turns out that a, a, a token is a was a great way to solve that problem. Um, and even though, yes, if you look at all the volume right now, it is, I would guess the volume right now is probably ninety eight percent wash trading. Right. If, I were to, if I were to be honest, um, but that's not necessarily terrible because, like, there there is some form of liquidity there. There are users there. The fact that everybody is talking about it nonstop on Twitter right now is like free marketing. It's it's free eyeballs, right? And you you have to start somewhere. And yeah, I think a lot of these people will just get the token and and, and dump it. But the way that the, the platform operates, there, there's a very direct path to valuing the, the token, right? You, it, the token holders get 100% of the trading fees. Mm -hmm. So you can kind of just put like a simple PE on something like this, right? One of the, one of the interesting things about the rewards here, right? So, so sometimes these, these platforms are tricky to value because they pay out rewards, but the rewards are paid in their own token. So it's like, how do you, how do you even value that, right? It doesn't even make sense. But half of the rewards right now are being paid out in in ETH, and in the long run, I think the the, the vast majority of the rewards wow, point. will be literally paid out in ETH, because you are literally getting a portion of the trading fees. The the trades are happening in ETH, and the stakers are getting two percent of that. So that's a really interesting value prop: the idea that you can own this token and it can generate ETH as a cash flow, right? So. If this platform can get the liquidity, if it can get the users to use it, 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 it could be like an incredible, incredible opportunity to, to kind of get in on the, the ground floor of. Because you can just yeah. imagine, you just imagine having a little, you know, $5,000 bag you, you pack today and then this thing does a 100x or something and then you end up with, a, you know, you end up with a, a five, $500,000 bag. And, and then that $500,000 bag is making you like 100K a year in ETH on top of it. Yeah. Right? Make it happen, Stephen. Like, what would you pay for that? Probably a lot. Make it can happen, Stephen. Um, can I like just build upon what we've been build. talking about? And, like sprinkle a little bit of um, maybe FUD, maybe reality on the situation. It's like when we're talking about evaluation, we're talking about like the intrinsic value of this of this protocol. But like... What we're really talking about, what we what we care about, is the token price, and like, are we going to make money on this if we like buy this today? And I think those are mm -hmm. two different things. And like, even looking at Sushi Token, which is kind of like the proxy for this, like, even mm -hmm. going back to uh, something that Stephen talked about last episode, I think he said first of all that <clears throat> Dexes we're we're agnostic to which Dex we use, um, so we'll probably use Looks Rare if if we get a token. 
um, which was like why people poured it over to sushi. But if you look at like how sushi token has performed, it pumped early and now it's it's down 80% from its high. So like, I don't think that it's necessarily a guarantee that looks rare over the long term, the token's gonna be a good investment. Like the, the, the market is cap it, can continue is it rising. The same, is it the same as, as any other decks when it comes to NFTs? Because I think the user experience is, is a huge part of that. I think the community is a huge part of that. I think that looks rare for me, the smartest thing they did was timing. So they let somebody go first. They did it better than them. But the best part about their timing is that when Coinbase comes out and they're going to do a great job without any of the user focus or rewards whatsoever, there might be a very small version of what Looks Rare has created. If anything, it'll be more like an open sea with a better UI and more uh, reliable experience on the site in general. When those users that enter the NFT market, which if I'm not mistaken is at least 3 million people, right? come onto the market, have their first experience and start to go down the crypto NFT rabbit hole and realize that they can have maybe not necessarily a better UX, UI experience, but an experience as a user that is more rewarding. I think that looks rare is properly positioned to go take all those people to move from centralized to decentralized that are going down the rabbit hole and want to have more fun with this whole thing. That to me is like the best part of what they've done. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so Eric, you- what you, what you said, like, I, I think you and you and Eric said two things I think that are important and need to kind of be tied together. Uh, Cause you, you talked about the importance of building out a user experience with these marketplaces. And I think that's, that's really, really important. And I, I think that's important to an extent that it's not important when we talk about a DEX like sushi. Right. Agree. So we can learn some things from sushi for, for sure, but like also it's, it's not an apples to apples comparison. And I think another super important thing that you have to consider when you're talking about trying to draw analogies between sushi uh, or any decks in, in this, right? Um, the problem that these decks ran into like sushi was that the liquidity in the decks was very like hypermobile and didn't care about moving. Right. People parked capital there to earn fees and they left. So you have to keep emitting tokens. Right. Which is a drag on your your token price in order to 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 get the liquidity there. And it's like a very difficult model to balance. What's different in NFTs today. Right. So with something like Sushi, I could have Ethereum and I can have Bitcoin. Right. And I could just park it in in a liquidity pool and I can earn passive income on it. Right. I'm not trying to sell my Bitcoin. I'm not trying to sell my Ethereum. I'm just trying to hold them and earn interest. With NFTs, like the user is, when they list their NFT, they're trying to sell their NFT. They're not trying to Hmm. passively park it and earn income on it. So I think that the people who are on the supply side have like a bit of a different, a lot of a different, a very different incentive when it comes to talking about like an NFT DEX versus the capital you know the liquidity when it when we're talking about a uh, a dex that that has coins, right? So, and, and because of that, I think that stuff that like Armand's talking about, where it comes to like the the UX and these things, is is going to have like more importance and like a good team that develops properly is going to be able to build more of a moat than they may in, in some of these other areas, you know. 
some some small liquidity pool on on like something other than Uniswap will still allow me to to swap my coins uh, right when I want to in a smaller size. But like on LooksRare, I might not be able to sell my NFT at all. Mm. Like there might not be liquidity there. I think right. I think the opposite is 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 true though, right? To an extent, because when you're selling an NFT, you're always just trying to sell like one NFT. It's like a single unit. So when you have a DEX and you don't have a lot of liquidity, you run into a slippage problem, right? If you're trying to buy $10,000 of a coin, but there's only $100,000 in the pool, when you try to make that $10,000 purchase, you may lose like five or 10% or whatever the math works out to, right? Of, of, mm-hmm. of that transaction. And that's like a terrible experience for the user. So no matter how small the NFT DEX is, as long as there is the NFT that they want on there, mm-hmm. they're not going to experience like slippage per se. They may be, there may be other problems where if they're just trying to like browse a collection and find something they like, there's not a lot of inventory and maybe that's a bad user experience, but it's, they're not going to like necessarily <coughs> lose funds that way. And right. I, I also think it's uh, interesting too, like to think about, when, when we had the DEXs, right, we ultimately built these other layers on top of them, the aggregators. And a lot of people, like I know I personally mostly use aggregators hmm. because like I can go to this one app that filters like liquidity from multiple DEXs at once and just gets me the What's best What's your execution. favorite, by the way, Stephen, like they use today? It depends where I am. I, I, I like to use Matcha on, on mainnet. But I, I use a, I, I use a, I use an app called uh, Fi- Fire. Was it Firebird? Firebird a lot on, on Phantom and, and Avalanche. It's yeah. been especially useful on I'm Phantom because Phantom for a while had super fragmented liquidity. It was so hard to make a trade. You'd have to make a trade on like five different dexes, and it was, is awful. Um, and then on on Polygon, I've I've used Slingshot for a while, which I think is pretty. You don't just use uh, MetaMask. Swap. <laughs> <laughs> we should all be doing that. We should all be doing. By the that. way, there's no way. An airdrop. Yeah, there's no way they can incentivize that. I mean, you're just going to have a bunch of, you know, kind of novice users getting extra airdrops because they were using this exchange feature that just charged them more for no reason. But anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think. Yeah, maybe maybe it's, maybe it's not do a full MetaMask pivot just yet. Yeah, no, no, we um, shouldn't go in there. Um, well, to your so, point, though. Yeah, go back, Nick. I was going to say, like, uh, you know, assume they can get the liquidity. It, it does seem like a, a positive e- expected value for a seller to sell because you have uh, 0.5% less fees, plus you get free tokens, you know, essentially a share um, from your trading rewards. Um, and then from a buyer perspective, I think it's equally as a, as a positive EV um, because you get also tokens or your share of the platform fees for, um, for, for purchasing. So if they can yeah. figure out the liquidity issue from a user perspective, um, if they feel confident that they can sell the NFT that they're listing and if they feel confident that you know, they can find what they want to buy, um, right now the economics makes sense to, to do it. So it'll be interesting to see how this transpires over the, Next, yeah, uh, I, I would guess I would guess the game theory sort of plays out where if the fees are two percent, right? Mm-hmm. 
if the volume is too low, then people have an incentive to wash trade because there's free money, right? But then if the volume gets really, really high, wash trading isn't as profitable because there's a chance that you could pay 2% in fees, but then only earn 1% in tokens, right? So, so I think right. the equilibrium will probably play out where once this calms down, you're probably earning like 2 to 4%, I think, in rewards for everything you sell and everything you buy. And that's kind of huge, right? Like if that ends up being like 3 or 4%, then when you talk about the, 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 the half a percent you're saving in fees from Uniswap, uh, excuse me, from uh, OpenSea, plus the trading rewards on top, like somebody who's selling something on looks rare, maybe saving like four and a half percent, you know, like call it, call it like two and a half to four and a half percent. And that's just an enormous deal, right? Cause some of the, again, some of these NFTs trade for fifty, hundred thousand dollars four and a half percent is, is, is so right. much. Right. And then the user, right. Is getting like a free one, two, 3% back when they buy. And that's kind of nice as well. And if you can deliver them, also like a good UX experience on top of that, which remains to be seen, but it, it, it could work. It could work. And if it does like the market that's there to capture, could be nutty, right? Like I, I, I don't think it's out of the question that OpenSea could be like a three, $400 billion company in a couple of years, just in terms of like how much growth there is in the NFT space and where they are right now. Mm-hmm. So if it, if there is a decentralized competitor that can, grab some chunk of that market share i mean that could be that'd be a pretty steep valuation so you're you know? buying looks like okay, how are you guys uh personally playing this right now like i've been wanting to catch up on this in general like how did you play your airdrop and some of you i believe are are adding to the bag so like i think who said right before this that they just bought some oh steven right no one of you did mm-hmm. so how are you guys playing yeah, this and, and how are you? Yeah. So tell me like, what was, so, did you have like a, I, I mean, I kept or? my airdrop because when I got it, I just sort of looked at the potential upside and just the need for it in the market. And, you know, obviously on day one, you're not sure about the execution. That's always going to be a question, but I, I thought the risk reward was really, really good, but I wasn't like happy with the size of my airdrop bag. I, I wanted more. So every time it dipped, I accumulated, a little bit more. And I, you know, I plan to be getting a pretty decent bag of this. I think it's a tricky thing right now for somebody to navigate, right? Because if you're not in the know with how the rewards play out and everything, like you could very easily just accidentally buy at like a really bad time. Like we were talking earlier, how the rewards are distributed at like 6 PM mm-hmm. every day. Right. So I kind of figured today that like when those rewards got released, there would be a big dump because there's all these people gaming the airdrop system. And the people who are gaming the airdrop system are probably not like long-term believers of the platform, right? Right. They're probably, and they probably have also risked like maybe millions of dollars of ETH wash trading, you know, in order to get these tokens. So they're going to be highly motivated to just dump them as quickly as possible, right? So if you rolled around at, 558 p.m. and we're like oh i'm gonna buy some looks rare because i like this project <laughs> and you bought it like three minutes later you got dumped on <laughs> like 40 yeah. percent. you lost so in much these early days probably like, that's super true what the heck happened right yeah so there's that and then we also have to be aware that 
the total supply is what, like a billion tokens. And I think only 10% of that or so has been issued, right? Mm -hmm, So 90% of the supply is going to come onto the market over the next two years. That's going to be a lot of tokens coming on, a lot of opportunities for people to sell and dilute you. So it's very possible that this doesn't go anywhere for a while because of that. It's something you have to be aware Mm. of when you, you buy a project, like how much of the supply is actually already outstanding versus like how much is going to come on and dilute me later. Now I'm hopeful with something like this because the staking is so lucrative, right? Like I just checked the rewards before we started recording. It was 1200% APR, not even APY for Mm -hmm. staking, right? So if that happens, you could end up with a lot of the supply locked up and then you don't have to worry about getting dumped on as much. And it's less of a worry as well when the project is like real and people see real future value. They don't want to sell it and you're not just playing some some game. So it is a lot to navigate for somebody, but I I would recommend like probably buying after 6 p.m. I guess in the coming days is probably going to be the there's your the alpha alpha, right alpha, alpha baby like dumping you got to assume that the market's going to start front running that and maybe it just kind of goes yeah. away pretty quickly um so it might not be something to worry about but yeah i think just dollar cost average in just if you like the project buy a little bit on dips stake it you're you're going to get like a lot of rewards if this keeps up over the next you know two or three months with all the wash trading, you know, cause the, that those, so what's those up are tokens with, just we, put in your hands. What's up with that? Because they have documentation on their site. Like, Hey, don't worry about wash trading. The, the fees that are working <laughs> will make it practically impossible for people to want to want to do that. What's the explanation there? Like it looks like it's, platform fee, 2% yeah, royalty, five to 10%. If multiple individuals try to wash sale on the same wash trade, on the same day, they'll share the daily trading rewards with themselves and likely be at a loss when the cost of wash, trade, wash trading is factored in. So obviously I mean, that's Jason not created true. that calculator yeah. in the thread that showed yeah. you that, you know, depending on the volume and the price, it, it, it's it's not a huge margin. You know, it's thin mm-hmm. margins to negative EV to, to wash trade. So he was quick to pop that in there and, so, and show so that the it, people, it may not be worth it. So the folks who are wash trading are probably doing it at a loss. And and we as stakers, we welcome that because we're earning uh, wrapped ETH <laughs> yeah. off of their loss. Like the, I, the I don't think APR they're doing it at a loss. About. The thousands APR. Yeah. The well, thousand APR they're assuming 400% of that certain, is in ETH. Yeah. 600%. I mean, look, you would like the market would have to be highly irrational, right? For to people to be just... Yeah. blowing trading fees every day to accumulate like at a loss wash trading. Yeah. I, that, it, I, that's why I, w- I was saying I like, I, I think that there's going to be an equilibrium, right? Where you're willing to accept like a free 2% a day with like crazy volatility. Right. But like for that free 2% edge, you're going to take it. Cause maybe if you, if you wash trade one or 2% for two months straight, every single day at like a 1% edge, maybe you come out ahead and that's worth the risk. Just amazed but I don't, what people I don't think have it's a given for. that people are going to lose lose money. Good either. point. You know, it's it's, it's probably just going to be a like like most other things in the market. It's just going to be like, are you willing to accept the risk? If you want to accept the risk, then you can kind of get this greater you know quote unquote amount of free money. But it, it's not super free, and I think some of these right now it's just people who are probably just screwing around but i imagine somebody will build a bot and do some analytics and pretty quickly 
decide whether or not it's good to wash trade. And I think a lot of volume will come in at like the very end of the day when you can kind of like have an idea of like the, if it's profitable or not. So it's going to be its its own little meta game within this. Um, but right. I think it'll overall be good for token holders because it's going to give them a chance to kind of like accumulate cheaper, I think, if they want to, because there's going to be all these people probably irrationally dumping because they have so much. But also that wash trading is going to generate like immense amounts of fees, which is going to generate a lot of interest, which may generate capital. And you could even see like a, a really irrational short term mega pump in the price. Like we saw this in DYDX, the token launched at like eight or nine bucks or something. And then it traded to twenty eight dollars because like everybody's like, oh, my God, the volume's crazy. This this exchange is going to like replace Uniswap. It's, it's revolutionary. But all that volume ended up being just like people wash trading for the token rewards. And then once the market sort of figured that out, that we retraced from like $28 back down to like five or six bucks or something. Um, so we could see a similar thing here. I still need an answer to my question, you guys. How are you What's guys that? playing this? None of you guys are answering the I question. I told you. Okay. That I was a hell of an cost Dollar cost average, buy after 6 p.m. when it tanks and stay. Okay. No, no, no. What did you... I want to know what you are doing, not what you recommend. So Stephen Steven bought the actual 6 p.m. dip. It went Great. from... It went down to 2.65. Yeah, and then like it? within 20 minutes, it was back up at 350. Three. Uh, yeah. I bought I bought some on the day of the launch when it was dumping. I bought it two dollars, mm-hmm. um, and I'll probably look to continue accumulating. I I like this. Nice. So, so you, you stake the whole thing. You know it's worth mentioning about this for people: the staking contract is auto compounding, mm-hmm. yes. which is beautiful because you can mm-hmm. put like no you, know, you you stake it and you can just go away. You don't have to harvest, pay gas, and then restake to kind of like. And it just kills your 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 yield. So you can just throw like a thousand bucks in there or whatever, and then it'll just automatically like reinvest it for you. So if you're kind of like a firm believer in the long term project, or you just want to participate in that upside, yeah, just buy what you want to have exposure to now. Maybe like half of it, and then you're you're probably going to get some dips. When there's dips, buy more. Just keep staking it, and I I think in the long run, if it succeeds, like you're going to have a gigantic bag because of all of the the rewards you know yeah. and you'll probably be pretty happy earning 400 percent in in 400 percent apr and eth is so awesome so like awesome. even if you don't even care about looks like that's that's awesome right yeah you can always swap from looks to, to eth as well like might as well keep building at this apr yeah so nick I'm what's i'm curious how long that apr persists it's like this well, it's like interesting been, yeah it it's gonna equal to out i mean you're gonna dump yeah 600 well it's it's 500%. different now because there's an eth apr so when there was a 600 percent apr but it was paid out in the token price right that apr is tricky because yeah you're getting a ton of yield but you're getting the yield in the same token so if the token price goes down then that yield gets destroyed and it's it's not really worth staking it just for the yield. Like you can get killed that very easily. But when you get paid in a totally different token, ETH, well, that's like a game changer now because now you have this like other assets to model your cash flows against. And the price of ETH doesn't care what the price of looks is. So the price of looks has to be tied to the price of ETH to some 
degree, right? Like this thing can't be printing 600%, you know, it can't be printing 2% a day in, in, in ETH interest and then stay at like $2. Like it, it would have to print, right. right? But like as soon as the wash trading died down, right? If there is no long-term volume that comes in, well, that 600% ETH APR will very quickly turn into a 5% ETH APR. And then if the price of the token was totally based on that ETH APR, then the price of the token is going to like immediately tank again, which is why like I think you could see some crazy swings in the price like in the short run just due to the the tokenomics incentives and how they're going to kind of shift over time and the effect that that has on staking, you know. So there's a lot of ways to play the game if you want to get like really in the the weeds with it. But most people might not want to. Uh, to, to, to deal with the hassle. They probably should just buy stake and just walk away. You yeah, know, one's thinking, yeah, 99.9% of people are not. I'm actually interested in who are the people that are wash trading like right now. Like I just want to meet one of these people. It's just so interesting to me to like find a 1%, 2% edge and spend so much time on that. But hey, I mean, it's helping the platform, right? It's creating like volume that everyone's talking about right. and and <laughs> and ultimately See, it it's an interesting debate if like, it helps the platform and to what yeah. degree and you know it's it, it it's, it's probably it's probably both you know yeah i mean exactly. i i didn't get bullish on it until i saw the apr break down in eth rewards and it's probably because right. of that wash trading to realize that whoa you can get you know if there is enough volume on this thing you can get a significant return paid in eth on this. So, you know, when it first came out, I got it spread out across a few wallets. And usually when these airdrops happen, you know, there's a little pump and I sell half of it or a portion of it. So I sold a portion of it back to ETH. And then the other other part I actually can't claim because my Trezor hardware wallet will can't sign the transaction for some reason. So it's just sitting there unstaked. Why don't you do it? Why don't you just use MetaMask for something like that? Like well it is MetaMask you know, or is it my no, hardware through wallet? Through your wallet. Why not just go no, directly to like... I mean, it's it's tied to that wallet though, which is on my hardware wallet. Ah, I'm not about to... For the airdrop. You know, mm. yeah, I'm not... Well, gonna, you could... Uh, you, I know, you I could, could pull just, my seed phrase and re-like re, re like, instate it in a Well, new you could just put your seed mask. phrase in a ledger wallet, right? Like if you have a ledger wallet lying around, you can put your treasure seed phrase in... Because I, I was the same thing. I didn't want to enter my seed phrase into my computer right. just on a new MetaMask just to do it but i had a i have a bunch of ledgers lying around in my closet you know, for I normal things i have one in this office somewhere yeah that's so you point. just just pop your, pop your treasure seed phrase into the ledger that's not like a device specific thing mm. and then voila your whole wallet all your wallets are on your your ledger and then your ledger can actually sign the transaction you know pop it um, in look they said they were where uh discord help Let's see phrase in there. <laughs> can anyone help? Here's oh, my phrase. No, that is see a if joke. If you can remote into my wallet, and fix that's this. a that's a joke. That, like, I, <laughs> yeah, <don't do> <laughs> please. I, I can't believe I have to say this, but please, please don't do that. Yeah. Oh my uh, god. Because well, this shit happens. It literally happens to people. If there are any uh, board ape holders listening out there? Please don't. These guys get ripped. Please. Do you guys see that person that really accidentally think. sold their board ape for like point something? The other day, did you guys see that? I did not. Oh my it, god! Poor this is soul. a related just topic. The decimal by the way. Place? Just sold it for like <laughs> pennies, man. So this is a very related That's topic because some of these board ape holders are giving away their seed phrase, getting conned, whatever. Um, they say they're getting hacked, 
and you know their the board ape sells or gets stolen away from their wallet that person who steals it sells it on OpenSea to someone who thinks they're just purchasing a, a board ape at a pretty darn good rate yeah um and the original board ape holders are going to OpenSea for customer service and <laughs> OpenSea is going in and freezing those nfts so this oh. is the trade-off of what and freezing those right not making them tradable oh no um, way so in, in some in some cases and this is not just for board apes, but in some cases, the the person who stole it and is selling, they're not able to sell, which you know you may argue is like a, a good case of this. But on the other side, people who are buying from people who stole it um, are having it taken away, and so you know there there are issues here with like a centralized. Wait, this service. is very so, controversial. This is very like what happened to well, Code. No, this is open sea intervening. They're like right. freezing some NFTs and. I think this will be interesting. Let's say LooksRare does get some volume and something happens. Someone mistypes, gets their wallet hacked, and they go to look up where they're going to find customer support. And there's not going to be any because it's it's decentralized. So, um, you know, a lot of people like the idea of a decentralized platform until they, um, you know, need I don't know, but and there is none. So we'll see. I mean, you, you guys don't find that this has already been a thing, hey, right? Hey, like somebody's right. somebody's bought some mutants today. <laughs> or, or an ape and they went to sell it on open they bought the ape on looks fair and then when they went to sell it on OpenSea, they discovered that it was like red flagged and they couldn't list it oh, brutal that's terrible like OpenSea shouldn't be playing this i mean like first of all if you're the owner of OpenSea, like how are you going to scale that process like how do you scale that process across all these all these transactions i mean they probably have some you know, something detecting things that are sold well below the floor price. But I mean, it just doesn't seem like a real scalable thing to, to, to try to intervene on. I don't like it. I'm surprised you guys aren't (laughs) like freaking out about it. I think that's super controversial. That's like the antithesis, the antithesis, I can't say antithesis right now. The antithesis of like crypto and like decentralization. Like I don't see isn't crypto. I know, right. but it's but it is just like any other exchange. Like it's one web of these centralized 2.5. exchanges. Yeah, it's <laughs> so web. It's I, I web think 2.5. I think OpenSea is actually in dangerous waters here, right? Because I I think they're in danger of like getting stuck in the middle of a market. Because we're going to have if LooksRare is successful, right? We're going to have the purely decentralized marketplace. But then if Coinbase is able to execute, right? Then they're going to have like a super user friendly centralized marketplace. And then what's OpenSea going to be? This like half decentralized thing that's not really decentralized and then like half user-friendly thing that has like shitty support and, and doesn't have like good UX. Like well, you're gonna, it's, you're it's gonna generally not a good strategy to just plot yourself, just plop yourself right in the middle of the market and just do everything kind of badly. You know, that could be, it, I, 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 I would worry about that if I, if I were them for sure. I mean, yeah, I'm going to, run into the same thing with Coinbase and these users that are on the waiting list are expecting customer support. They're they're there because they're used to Web2 experience. They're going to buy or sell their first NFTs as a result of this launch. And when shit goes wrong, they're definitely going to expect a level of customer support. And I think that's like net bad. I don't like it. Because I think that that just like I, I'm all for a better front end experience as a user. 
And I'm all for just simplifying this entire process to onboard more people into the space. I think that's all good. But I think there has to be a very clear line. And it's like a principled line about what this whole industry even is supposed to be. I just, I don't know. The whole, the whole like customer support, it's like, it just moves people too far away from like owning your keys and and having control of your assets and and being the custodian yourself. Like that is the purpose of all of this. Maybe not to everybody, but, but to me it is. That's what makes it different than, than traditional finance that we were supposed to get rid of the middleman. Like that was the point. I I don't know. This frustrates me. I don't like it. (laughs) I mean, can Speaking of traditional finance, I mean, just put a thought in my head about can we recognize that how much just pure NFT volume is going to happen this month when when every other asset class is just getting murdered? So, you know, August to 2021 was a peak for NFT volume, specifically on OpenSea. And we're already on pace. We're doing OpenSea has already done two thirds of the volume that they did at their highest month. And it's only 10 days in the month. So basically they're on pace to double. Uh, the total volume, which is going to be a massive record-breaking volume month. Meanwhile, we have interest rates going up, the tenure up to local highs, the market getting dumped on, you know, just general crypto market also getting dumped on. But for some reason, here's this little pocket of uh, JPEGs just getting sent to the moon. You know, like uh, all the, the prices are going up, but the volume's going up as well. I, I find that interesting that that's happening. And I, I don't know necessarily... Yeah. Good point. No, yeah. It's kind of they just won't die. I've been no. waiting we all for thought, my liquid JPEGs yeah. to die for like six months and they just keep going higher. It's like the only thing in my portfolio performing. Yeah. We all thought it was <laughs> like... They're counter-cyclical, right? Yeah. Or, like they kind of seem like actually counter-cyclical at this point. Like they, we had a, we had a bear in the spring when ETH mooned. And then we had a mega bull in the summer after ETH crashed, and now ETH crashing again, and we're in an NFT bull again. I, is it coincidence, or are they just maybe like high ETH is just bad for NFTs? And what once ETH crashes, people <laughs> people have money to play around with. I, I think they're just yeah, independent you know? of each other, but yeah, maybe. I think I think they're independent too, but I can it, see why. I, I think they're, I think they're inversely correlated. Yeah. I, okay. I, I don't know if they're inversely way. correlated. I think that maybe we're just in such a nascent period of a growing industry that like no matter what happens, you know, when you see this much growth, it kind of washes out the, you know, the the corollary uh, causes and, you know, any seasonality or anything like that because it's growing so fast. But I mean, you do bring a good point about those kind of correlations and timings of the market. It does seem that the NFTs do particularly well when, when ETH kind of cools down, whether it you know, you know, rises and, and calms down or it goes down and calms down. Maybe it is mm-hmm. easier for people to kind of make their back of the napkin calculations and what their U.S. dollar uh, wealth is and determine, you know, uh, determined in, in illiquid JPEGs. Um, but, yeah, for some reason, uh, it's kind of it's kind of funny. It's kind of hilarious. Well, I think people um, want to, to play to a game. They want to keep the game going. They want to keep the bull run going if they see this sell off with ETH, they, they want they want to play the game somewhere. And I do think there is definitely a correlation between like, okay, um, you know, I have, I have some more to play with, or like, this isn't interesting right now. And it's very stagnant. And I want to sort of like shock myself a little bit. I think people have gotten addicted 
in general to the space and they, they need to create the volatility if it's not there even at times. Like I'm noticing that even on a collection level with some of these like NFT collections. It's like it's it's nuts what some of these do. I think people just flock to that. By the way, did you guys see this uh, Gary V Immutable X Layer 2 Ethereum NFT Marketplace launch? Like did you guys on uh, what is that marketplace called? Token shit what is that called he launched the book thing book games book Book games (laughs) nft but what is that marketplace called for immutable x it's slipping uh from my mind right now but anyway it's um it's massive like the whole thing has just like a token trove there we go token trove is the marketplace um that runs on a layer two immutable x and like he basically single-handedly like took this thing to the moon. It's done more volume than it has in like one day. But it's really interesting that he selected to do this on layer two. Like the guy is just so fascinating in so many ways. Like I know that he views himself at this point as like a pioneer. And I know that he's self-aware enough to know that his decisions are incredibly important for what he's doing for this space. And then God, he thinks in a very optimistic way about everything, especially technology, because he understands, I think his role to, to shape this. And in many ways, like if he can get people onto layer two with NFTs, I think he just opens up the floodgates to like this whole thing becoming more and more competitive. We're going to be, see so many looks rares, not just on layer one Ethereum, but on all these other L2 chains with, you know, like it's going to be incredible. Avalanche as well, like has their own NFT marketplace, right? So mm-hmm. it's big what he's doing. Can I just go back to Steven's point? And then like, I we can just move on from here. But I, I just think that uh, when we're talking about NFTs uh, being counter cyclical or something, I think it's just too early to tell. This is my take. I mean, take it for what it is. Uh, it's too early to tell. We, we saw through Looks Rare how many... Um, users there were that transacted three ETH or more. It was 185,000 users. That's a very small number. Um, you know, like when Binance has 4.5 million people on, on the Binance chain. So it's like, it's so early that I think it's just like, it's for me, it's too early to tell whether, uh, there's correlation or not. I think it's just still onboarding, uh, a bunch of crypto heads that like weren't using NFTs cause they're, they're much newer. So, you know, take it for what it is. Right. We could also be overcomplicating it. It could just be that when people want to use NFTs and they have to pay for stuff in ETH, when ETH is really high and gas is really high, they're less likely to buy NFTs because it's more expensive. Yeah, true. That's what could I be. thought you originally. That's what could I be. thought you were saying. As a yeah. But you, you're right. It could, could be sample size. We have to. We have to be. We well, like open to that. clearly they're fun. Like we, we all use them and like they're, they're fun and they're kind of addictive, like gambling. So if like people were already doing that in crypto, but like hadn't come, come over to NFTs, uh, you know, there are probably more people that are coming on board. Well, let, let's talk about the layer. Let's talk about the layer twos a little bit too. Right. Because that speaking of like onboarding people, right. <laughs> there's, there's this, I, I talked to a lot of people in the NFT space and a lot of them say, Oh, Nobody wants to launch products on layer twos because users, nobody uses layer twos, right? And I, I, I kind of like don't think that's right because like I already thought or already think it, 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 
It's already such an ask for a regular person who wants to buy NFTs to just use Ethereum, right? Like think of the think of the hoops they have to jump through Nightmare. to buy something. Is it that much more difficult for them to get on Immutable X? Probably not. I, I think the thing is they just need something that they want to buy. It literally looks and, the exact same to a new user, I think. You're right. It's the same yeah. process, so the same I, I getting the started guide. We just guide. haven't had good layer two stuff. I mean, th- there has been good stuff lately, right? We've had, we've seen a lot happening with uh, Treasure and, and the Magic Token, the, that ecosystem. Uh, small brains really took off and people wanted to buy that project and use it. And that drove tons of value. That's, that's an Arbitrum base. That's layer two. And now Gary V is launching something on Immutable X layer two and people are buying it and people are into it and they don't, they don't necessarily care that it's layer two. They just want, it's a thing they like that they think is cool. So they're going to, they're going to do it. There will be adoption. They follow the creator. It's not about the platform. Mm -hmm. It's not about layer one or layer two. It's like when you launch a project, you can launch it wherever you want. Ultimately your community will be loyal and follow you. And if you have a good reason, like, Hey, I'm going to airdrop you your NFT and you won't have to pay any gas. Okay. Thanks Gary. (laughs) Like that's awesome. And then by the way, like what is gas on lay, on on the actual transactions on something like that on that platform? Nothing. Like mutable X zero. Zero. They, zero. they cover the fees. There you go, man. So it's like you're helping your users out. They're gonna follow you anyway. They're and you have to lay out a step by step guide for them anyway. And most people's first experience with anything is is through you. So it's like unless they're already an experienced NFT user of some kind or crypto investor, like they're not gonna care. It's all the same. So I think this is the key decision is like how this plays out. So the tech that's going to be built out on layer two, especially around these NFT marketplaces, like if the tech's good enough and the user experience is good enough, I think the creators will decide where they want to go and what's best for their community. And then the whole thing will just kind of expand organically where these different ecosystems on on different chains, which is super exciting. <laughs> I think it's right. a really good bullish case for all of this. Definitely a bullish case for um, those uh, platforms or, you know, whatever protocols that can like bridge you across uh, all of them. You know, like if it is a multi-chain future, you're going to have to have secure bridges between all of it. Yeah, that's the part. Yeah, that I still, I think, I still think probably in the future, a user just fires up an iPhone app, right? Mm-hmm. And they just buy NFTs they like, and then they don't, know or care if they're using Arbitrum or, or Immutable or, or, or Mainnet or Avalanche. And they, they're just, they're just into the, because people ultimately are in, like, like you said, they care about the creators. They care about the art. They care about the community. They care about all these non-tech stuff, right? It's a very small subset of the NFT community that cares about like the tech, right? Like people who buy punks, right? Or, the, the the main net thing matters to them. Punks wouldn't be the same if they launched on Polkadot, right? Mm-hmm. But for most, the vast majority of people who come into NFTs for the next few years, yeah, they're they're not going to care. They're just they're in it for the art. Yeah, if you told me like in it uh, to make money. <laughs> an, an immutable X NFT is less premium, I wouldn't be like be like what the fuck do what the fuck do I care? Like I wanted that because I like that artist. Like I wanted it. Each each yeah. collection 
becomes its own ecosystem ultimately. And then all this stuff is just the background technology to how it's delivered and what that collection marketplace looks like. But ultimately it's just like the pipes, you know, and, and each collection is its own, its own little world. Um, Anyway, Nick, I know you wanted to to talk about Fed rates, unless you have more to add to this to this uh, NFT discussion. No, but I know you've had yeah, that on your on your mind. Let's let's jump into it just a little bit, just because um, we had a, a fairly large crypto correction, and I think if you're not paying attention to the broader markets, you might think it has a crypto cause to it, like I don't know, China canceling Bitcoin again, or you know, some kind of miners going down or some kind of, you know, regulation um, or that just everyone's turning bearish. But that's that's I don't think that's the case. Um, so, you know, crypto was pretty excited when institutions come into market. Right. They're going to bring a whole lot of money in and buy our bags and everything's going to go up. But that's like a two two sided coin. Right. Institutions buy, but they also sell and they typically buy and sell programmatically. Right. Most mm the significant majority of trades by institutions are, are made by computers. I think something like probably like 90% of them and they kind of trade, um, you know, on some major, uh, key metrics and the 10 year treasury is one of the most important metrics, um, to trade on. So, you know, when, when interest rates go up, um, it affects a lot of things, but essentially what happened is institutions programmatically, uh, de-risked across all asset classes. And so, you know, when, when crypto is just characterized as a risky asset class by institutions while well, they sell off. Um, and so that's what we saw. We saw not only the stock market sell off, but we saw the crypto market sell off. It had nothing to do with anything, you know, crypto fundamentals. Um, so I think that's one part to talk about and why we should talk about it. Um, now, broadly speaking about, you know, interest rates, it has a, you know, it has a huge impact on, on everyone. You know, the 10 year treasury is kind of the risk free rate of return that you get um, as an investor and as a potential business builder. Um, you know, the 10 year treasury affects mortgage rates, car loans, what else? Credit card rates, um, student loans, mm -hmm. even. And as a capital alloc allocator, it's what helps you define, you know, what your. Uh, rate of return will be in a project because it helps you define how you discount your future cash flows in any given project. So when your risk-free rate of return increases, the rate of return you need from entering into a risky project like uh, building a new home or starting a new business or for a bank lending out money, that bar raises up. And so you might be wondering why your Facebook and you know stock and Google stock crashed. It's because, well, you know, going on those ventures, those future cash flows are now discounted at a higher rate. So in general, it affects it affects a lot of things. I don't pe think people understand how uh, big of a reverberation, you know, increase in rates are and why the Fed has so much control over our economy. And, you know, we've kind of talked about this and, and specifically Eric and, and Stephen in, in previous um, podcasts and Eric posts about it recently that all asset classes are uh, approaching a correlation of one because, uh, and that's really important because a lot of that trades off of how interest rates move. So we're seeing that now in, in the crypto asset class. I think it's important to bring apart. But um, yeah, curious what your guys' thoughts are in the general market. You know, the the ten year Treasury moved up from like one point four ish, I think, to one point seven five, 
And it looks like, you know, the market's kind of pricing in three to four interest rate hikes this year. So we'll see how this kind of affects the market. But um, yeah, I think it's something important to talk about and bring an awareness to like the impact that, um, you know, Jerome Powell and the Fed and the 10-year treasury has on your portfolio, even if you have nothing to do with lending markets or the or stock market. I'd like to go. I'd like go. to go. <laughs> go, go, go. So I thought about like the simplest like ELI five, explain like I'm five way to do this. And, and I think this is the simplest way to like, to make it like a seesaw. So I'm going to put my arm up like this is shit. How do I, how do you see you it? It's like a seesaw. seesaw. It's a seesaw. So uh-huh. on one end of the seesaw, you have valuation. And on the other end of the seesaw, you have yields. And these things try to like balance out over time. But the Fed has been putting their thumb down on the yield side, causing the valuations to go higher. And this is true in every asset class. This is real estate, stocks, crypto, et cetera. And what, what most recently happened is what I'm, what I'm seeing is that the Fed signaled that they're going to raise the, the rate side and people are front running the trade thinking that valuations are going to go lower. So like in growth stocks, like in, in my line of work, like growth stocks like Square are down 50, 60%. Like good, good growth businesses are down 60% from their highs. Um, crypto's down, you know, Bitcoin's down 40%, East down 35%. Huge, huge pullbacks. And that's people front running this move of the seesaw. But I think what we saw today, um, Powell like kind of reiterated his, his comments saying that like, you know, it's going to be a low rate environment, even if they do try to like uh, take their thumb off the scale. You know, maybe it's like a better example is like they didn't have their thumb on the scale before. They were standing on the scale with weights in their hands, mm-hmm. like making right. it so that like rates were zero. What they're going to do, they're not going to like jump off off that side of the scale. They're just going to like start taking the weights out of their hands. Uh, they're still going to be standing on it. They're like at at some point, you know, like it's just going to it's going to start to teeter. But it, it's not like we're going like this. It's not a flip. So I think yeah. what we saw today was a huge a huge reversal. And I think like what that reversal is 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 like guys like Stephen who were front running the trade, shorting the market. That's them unwinding their short. They're like lar- hugely profitable. You know, like these guys made 60% on the way down um, shorting. And now they're like unwinding their short. So you see a little bit of a bounce. That doesn't necessarily mean that it's like demand back into gross stocks necessarily. It's just kind of like a bounce off of like people front running that trade. Right. It's interesting to point out that that seesaw you mentioned is kind of like a, a first principle in capital markets um, that it's done programmatically. You know that 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 was done at large scales on large amounts of of capital, and so th- it, it almost is kind of detached. Now it detaches the stock price away from the fundamentals of of projects, right? Like you know, Facebook and Google are still printing cash. Um, you know, Bitcoin and Ethereum still have their fundamentals that are good. Um, rental real estate still has the fundamentals there. Um, the general real estate market, um, but now they're a little detached. So the market's got to figure out, you know, where where it thinks the the future value will be. Um, so I don't know. I, I find it fascinating to that it's done programmatically and and to try to take a step back and not try to overreact to it. The market's just going to try to find its equilibrium as 
as we see, you know, the, the cost of capital get a little higher for for new ventures, new projects. Um, and if you're looking to buy a home, you know, your interest rates on your mortgage are probably going to, you know, tick up over time if they haven't already. You know, housing market might cool off. Or, or it might not if it kind of brushes off three or four rate hikes. That would be even crazier if, you know, three or four rate hikes later, you're still seeing people going in over over asking price. That would be. Well, to your point earlier, like you were talking about the 10-year rate, you know, people also quote the 30-year. Um, like really what the Fed controls is the short end of the curve, like the 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 daily, the monthly, like, uh, so they can, they can manipulate the short end of the curve. That doesn't necessarily mean that the 10 year is going to go higher. What we'll Good probably point. see is like, we'll see a flattening of the yield curve because I think the long end is going to stay pretty low. I mean, we're going to be in a low rate environment. And, um, historically speaking, you know, if we rate, if we, if we go up from zero to 2% or something, that's still incredibly Not accommodative. Bad. So like, I, I actually think that's a good environment for, for growth investments like, crypto and, you know, growth stocks, whatever. I had a question for, for Steven. I mean, do you think this is the equivalent of a taper tantrum? I mean, we're essentially seeing the first announcement of the Fed saying we're going to taper, you know, uh, QE, we're going to tape it, taper like open market operations of, of buying assets, interest rates are going up and the market is reacting. And last time this happened, I forget exactly what year, 2018, maybe feel free to correct me. But, um, you know, last time interest rates started to, to go back up, the market freaked out and then the Fed kind of, you know, reacted. So do you think this is what we're seeing now or the Fed kind of just uh, pushed through regardless of market reaction? So I've I've looked at this a lot um, in in the past, from what I can tell. It, it seems like when you look at this historically and you can, if you have like some charting software like TradingView, you can you can plot, say, the price of the S&P and then you can plot uh, rates alongside of it. And it seems as though like when the Fed announces that they're tightening in the past, you can see the rate go up and it, 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 it it's typically not until the, the, the end and that they've tightened quite a bit that the market throws its quote unquote tantrum. I think now there's just this like hyper awareness in the market that everything is just hanging on a thread, you know, that the the Fed is sort of like dangling. And it's, it's like a scary sign that the, the market is just, just completely tanking just at the, the thought of it. Right. And, And again, not a thought of, of, uh, well, the, initially it was just that they were going to end tape. They were going to just end the, the the free money, right? It wasn't even like they were going to necessarily right. tighten. They were just going to stop spending or, or or pouring however many billions a day into the economy. Um, but the markets really overreacted. Well, I don't know if that they overreacted. That could be a an argument we could make. But they reacted to Powell sort of like backtracking in a way and in, in giving some weird kind of inconsistent guidance where it went from, we're going to taper to, Oh, we're going to, we're going to like really put on the brakes and be, be like pretty aggressive there. And that, that definitely freaked the markets out a lot. I, I kind of think in the, the, the short medium term that this is all probably priced in now, I think Mm -hmm. if anything, we could surprise to the upside. It seems like there's a, decent probability that Omicron sort of forces continued like easy policy or that Powell backtracks a little bit and doesn't, isn't quite so hawkish. Right. So I, I definitely see 
that. It, if, if I was like a midterm trader, short-term trader, you'd definitely be playing these levels as for, for a balance in, in crypto. That's, that seems like an easy trade to me. I think the more difficult trade is, okay, Bitcoin bounces to 48 and Ethereum bounces to 36, 37. Well, well now what do you, now what do you do? Right. And if you're, if you're a trader, right, that's, that's a, that's a difficult question. Your, your, your price is moving into some difficult levels to break through. There's a lot of uncertainty of what's going to happen still. And you can very easily do the calculus and come out with a $800 or an $8,000 Ethereum price. It's just, it just sort of is what it is there. Um, for, for like a normal person, I, I don't know that you have to necessarily change your strategy so much as just be aware of what you're doing and what the risks are. I think most people who are good at trading, like I think people think that traders predict what's going to happen and that's how they make money by predicting stuff. When mm -hmm. the truth is they sort of are just good at evaluating scenarios and managing risk across those scenarios. And they put themselves in situations where even if they're wrong more than half of the time, the amount of money that they make when they're right just far outweighs the money that they lose when they're wrong. So it's not about predicting what's going to happen. It's about managing your risk. It's about being aware of what all the scenarios are and a vague idea of their probabilities and, and having a, a, a plan for that. Right. So for the casual investor who's just been buying tech stonks for the last three years, they're probably really confused. Like, why are my tech stonks all down like 50%? what's happening and they may not understand what what Nick and Eric said about how rates impact these valuations but the adjustment somebody like that has to make is to just reimagine what they think of like stock investing right buying stocks is probably not buying high growth tech forever you probably want to be buying stuff that does well in like stagflationary environments companies that cash flow will do better if, if rates are higher than companies that are growth companies. And th these are just sort of general changes you make to your portfolio portfolio, and general changes you make to your allocation, um, not so much as predicting what's going to happen. And then the other big thing I think is that when you are in periods right now of like really high uncertainty, where there is like a relatively high probability scenario that we do see like a gigantic correction, even beyond this one, I think an important thing for people to do is to, to, to keep some cash on the sidelines because then when the dip happens you don't feel helpless and paralyzed right you're not like oh my god do i need to sell part of oh. you is like oh boy like right i can i could buy like it, you you can right. kind of actually see it as an opportunity and it totally changes your your psychology like if you're feeling bad when everything's going down it's generally a sign that you are a little bit overexposed Over and you exposed. may have too much of the, the the wrong stuff you know you may be too concentrated in one basket it's a good point investing is simple just own uh what you want to hold for 10 plus years hold a little bit of cash and uh you're you're not sweating any of this um yeah go ahead Nick. i was gonna say i think we we talk about a lot about crypto but you know um you know i i personally don't hold uh you know a good portion of my net worth in in crypto it's actually mostly in like real estate and i'm loving these like rising interest rates for the apartment complexes we're invested in that have like fixed debt you know uh situations and and they're outperforming 
you know, really well in this type of environment. But, you know, having all your money in crypto or significant net worth is certainly not advisable unless, you know, conviction high plus your edge plus your ability to not freak out, Mm -hmm. you know, during these uh, volatility situations. So, um, yeah, definitely would. Hang on. Hang on. While we were talking about the Fed, I think it, it like what's important to me is not is not like what they said today, which is like, okay, so we're going to have these rate rises or whatever. What, what matters is what they're going to say tomorrow. Tomorrow is when the next inflation print comes out because the mm. Fed has, a, they call it like a dual mandate. They, they want to promote full employment, which is like economic growth, and they want to uh, maintain stable prices. Stable prices is inflation. Like if inflation gets too crazy, then they have to raise rates to combat that inflation. Right now, economic growth looks pretty good. Full employment is pretty much achieved. Like, you know, like unemployment is down to like 3.9% or something like very good employment numbers. So it's like, it's all about inflation. That number comes out tomorrow. I I don't think in my lifetime, uh, I've ever anticipated an inflation print as much as I have uh, for tomorrow. And like, you know, I think we're, we're kind of all, I think so much of, uh, our, crypto Twitter and, you know, just like people staying home, working through COVID, like have become traders. And like, I don't think that anybody has ever cared about an inflation print as much as we do tomorrow. Yeah. And I think it's just important for people to understand, like when they're operating within, you know, a certain protocol or a certain token, like even like looks, they're operating within a broader crypto market, which operates Mm -hmm. within, you know, you know, a broader capital market. And it's just important to understand, you know, you don't have to get in the depths of it, but know that um, sometimes the broader capital markets can can give you a lift, but it also smack you upside the head, you know, regardless of the fundamentals of your individual project or stock that you're looking at. Amen. Amen, brother. So have you guys been playing around with any allocation? Um in regards to what you guys just mentioned. I mean, Steven, I think that was really insightful what you said. It's like, it often creates an opportunity for a person to sit down and go like, oh, I'm not getting the, I mean, I mean, I think the biggest part is conviction, like really wanting and, and believing in the portfolio you have. Even if you don't want to manage it and if you don't want to constantly like look at rebalancing and reallocating, then you should have some kind of like all weather portfolio, which I always did up until like basically this past year where now I've become like a degen. So it is a lot. It's a lot. And it comes with a lot of pressure and it, and it kind of brings your awareness into a more micro level that some people thoroughly enjoy and others will not enjoy. So I think these are opportunities to take that sort of into account and ask yourself like, how actively do you really want to be like managing your own, portfolio because if it's getting stressful right now looking at the stock market then it's not a good sign i have one person that's very close to me i won't call them out who's like literally texting me every day going like fuck this market (laughs) i'm like i don't understand like why are you so stressed by this like you clearly like you don't want to play this game like stop playing this game you don't want the opposite of what eric just outlined you know (laughs) probably can i talk about that i think there's like there's theoretical advice which is like uh, what Steven said and the practical advice, uh, which I think people are looking for. Like the theoretical is, yeah, like don't overexpose yourself, have an all weather portfolio, you know, be prepared for these drawdowns, et cetera. The practical advice is they were not prepared. Like people are fucking degens. Like the last three years has trained you to get out of anything safe because you're getting punished by like uh, the gross shit just zooming. So like people have 
completely overallocated. It's down 60%. People are asking, what the hell do I do now? And I think the practical advice is- Well said. Is like what Steven said earlier. It's like, I actually think you can bet on a bounce here. We have overcorrected towards like, you know, people were, were front running the, the, the trade too much where like valuations are coming down. Uh, and maybe you have your chance soon to, to take your lesson that you just learned and, and like go on to the theoretical advice side and like reallocate then once you catch a bounce um, off of this. I think, I think if I could start from scratch or, well, I, I could start from scratch, I guess, but I, I think if I were starting from scratch and I wanted to be a little more active than the, the, the average person, right? I kind of think the Holy Trinity portfolio is like Ethereum, stable coins, and real estate. Because the That's way I sort of though. look at it, yeah, it's like if if we're in a hyper liquidity environment, Ethereum's going to outperform stocks. They're both going to crash pretty bad. Um, the risk reward profile on stable coins is just like unlike anything that has ever existed in the history of investing. If you know what to do with them, I mean, even if you don't know what you're doing, you can make like six or seven percent, which is a lot. It's really hard to make an argument for holding a ton of risky assets if you can just make six or seven percent, right? Yeah, and I'm just going but to footnote that, Stephen, for you, and mention that we're not going to go too deep into stable coins now, but we went super deep into it in the last episode, episode six, like the second half of it. So like if you did not listen to episode six, second half, like go listen to that because as you're saying, like it's a no brainer. It's an absolute. No -brainer. Yeah. Like I would, I would learn how to use stable coins. I would farm them. I would make my five to 20%, depending on whether we're in a bull or a bear market. Right. And I would probably honestly keep like 80% of my money and well, I maybe shouldn't keep that much in crypto, right? But I would, of, of the amount I keep in crypto, right? Like if you're not scared of being in crypto, I would keep like, you know, 60 or 70, 80% of my cash like, like in, in stable coin. And I would put like 10% in, in, in like Ethereum and like 10% in real estate or, or make that 50% cash and 40% real estate and 10% Ethereum. But the general idea is to just have like a large chunk of cash that is farming stable yield a small chunk of your portfolio that is really exposed to like hyper volatile assets, but with like super, super high upside. And then you have the the stable real estate with like the cash flow, right? And then you're gonna feel good in like every environment. When the crypto's ripping, your little 10% allocation might quadruple in a year and get you 40% on your overall portfolio, which is pretty cool. Your stable coins, which are half your portfolio and make you 20% which is pretty cool, right? But then when everything crashes, like your real estate's just going to be still sitting there making cash flow. So who cares, right? But then you're going to have this bucket of money to be like, and then you change, you change your mindset from I'm farming interest to, oh boy, I'm going to go on a shopping spree. And it just means that like, no matter what's happening, you always have like a clear head on your shoulders and everything is kind of good for everything that you're, you're doing. Right. And I, I think that like basic heuristic can, just be, I, should I do the not financial? <laughs> that is so <laughs> like, hard this is just one to guy's, follow. One guy's view on, on, on how I like to uh, approach this. Dude, um, I don't know. I, I, I really like it. From the risk. I, I really, really like it. But in, a, in an environment where like FOMO 
is honestly like a way of life and has become cool, really hard to sit back in a bull market when that's happening and just watch your Ethereum grow and not want to participate and not want to buy NFTs and not want to buy the next layer two that's about to rip. Really hard to do. I don't know if I could hold myself back to like 10%. Um, I definitely am not. But here's the thing. <laughs> if you have 10, even if you go ham and you double your allocation because you can't help yourself and you buy something to scratch the itch, you're still only at 20. Right. No, you guys, you guys are okay. both. You can live with that. You guys are both right. I actually think that Steven kind of like unlocked the Holy Grail there a little bit. Uh, and Armand made made like the perfect uh, secondary point to it, which is like if you use ETH stables and real estate as like the, 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 the proxy for the new stocks and bonds portfolio allocation. But then like you can take an, an individual investor's preferences to, to like massage that and be like, okay, so if you want to take more risk than ETH, um, you can like either put uh, a higher allocation there, or you can even go out to higher beta stuff like alt L ones using that ETH allocation, uh, you know, taking from stables or real estate. But like, I think that maybe framework it's a crypto makes allocation. So much sense. Yeah, yeah, I think that just that's that's kind of yeah. awesome, dude. Much. His range is amazing. I just to give him a little bit of credit. I don't listen, but he's like <laughs> awesome range. You can talk to scientists, oh, Anton, incredible, incredible, honestly. Uh, Nick, you're back. Yeah, I don't know what happened. Oh, yes, that's nice. All right, we can pick <laughs> up with we can pick up with what you were about to say. Oh, I was just saying that um, by and by real estate, I don't think we mean single family homes, your primary residence, or REITs that are pretty easy to buy in the stock market as like a public equities. I think generally we're speaking like rental income. You know, either multifamily uh, apartment complexes. There's you know, industrial asset class within real estate. There's also storage units, but in generally speaking, I just want to clarify, we're not thinking, you know, dump that percentage in your single family home and expect it to, you know, print, print cash, you know, for you. So. But hold on. I don't know if that, if it, if it needs that disclaimer. Cause I mean, like, first of all, how many people can just like go into multifamily real estate just for starters? Uh, I think like a, a, a single family home, like you're, you're, primary residence it, it could qualify i think so mm. it could but it just within the framework uh steven was saying you know like having your real estate produce uh cash flow mm. right, um, right for you yeah i'm, I'm thinking i'm talking about it more in terms of your quote-unquote investment portfolio mm. i think i think it could be kind of dangerous to think of your residence as like an investment because certainly <laughs> it's an it's an investment it. it's an investment in your comfort and livelihood. Meanwhile, it is the largest holding for like ninety percent of people. America. Yeah, it is still an incredible holding. Provides wonderful benefits for many people. <laughs> I don't, and I don't even have. Up and wait uh, okay. That's the. That's like, the problem, I don't get it. You know, it's like <laughs> rate, rates have just been going down for five decades, so the price of all the homes keeps going up as as they print money. But it's like okay. To what degree is that just like the biggest pyramid scheme of all time? Will it ever unravel? I don't know. Might not be worth well, worrying about. It, it may be fine, but if, if it is going to start to unravel, it would be right around now as rates, you know, start to bump up a little bit. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. I saw the same thing. Like I, I ran the uh, trading view um, numbers with like stock index against the M2 money supply. And you can do the same thing with real estate. It's like 
those assets going higher is, is largely just a function of dollar debasement. So I, I think like real estate number will go up just because the value of the dollar is going to go down. So like, does I, real I think, estate go up versus M2 or is it like stocks where like the stock market is actually not even up in, in oh, the yeah, supply term? Good point. Yeah. The stock market's like flat on a, on a real basis. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's only up in, in dollars. Oh my God. But, you know, who, who the fuck wants dollars? <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> so one, like, uh, well, I don't even know how to encapsulate this, but like, I honestly expected the beginning of the year to be a little bit more, um, not like volatile, but yeah, maybe it is like a sense of like, like just more action packed. <laughs> it feels like a kind of dull start to the year. Like, I don't know if anyone else. <laughs> really? I feel like yeah. I've been in like 60% uh, in growth equity in World War II. 40% in crypto? Like every other day. <laughs> I don't know. I, I mean, I guess, yeah, that's significant. But like, I expected it to go the other way. But I guess, I mean, Mr. Doom 22 called, called it. You know, uh, which we should, we should actually footnote that like Jan- as well. January 1, 22. Yeah. <laughs> we should, we should post the, the screenshot of, of Steven been like, just went short ETH some yeah, massive we, amount. We have the receipts. And timestamped it. Yeah. <laughs> that was great. No, just it was I followed um, him with all which. Definitely made the last week a lot psychologically easier I'll tell you that yeah good for you you. have you flipped that back long oh yeah have you covered yeah i flipped uh i went from net short to very long today welcome back um welcome back thank you i'm i'm not i'm not thinking i'll stay that way for a while I, i i think i think a bounce is probably a pretty easy play from here and then i think it it's really dicey. I, I I see good arguments for both for both camps. I, I think if you're like an active trader and you're in those situations, it's sometimes good to just take a bunch of money off the table and go flat and farm stables and just wait to buy higher when it's safer or wait to buy blood. I think that's perfectly fine if you are like somebody who's active. Um, but if you're just like a long-term investor, none of this really matters. Like these prices for Bitcoin are probably really really good on a five ten year time horizon like yeah. really really good it's bought, just like uh, it make you today. sick to think of the uh, three-month volatility Same. i bought bitcoin today i bought eth the other day yeah nice yeah this Same. is i mean to your guys point i wish i did have more cash or stable coin on the sidelines like i uh just had like a like an allergic reaction anytime there was a a good chunk of money sitting in my checking account and just kind of like any kind of these real estate deals come up or, you know, there's a little dip, but I definitely wish I had more on the sidelines to kind of put to work. Yeah. You're going to have like your little 10, 20% cash position, just farming basic stables at like six or 7%. That's like really easy to get to. So you don't feel too bad about it. Yeah. Right. All right, boys. I think that should do it. Wrap it. Yeah. Good one. That was a good one. Wrap. Good shit, boys. Anything we need to say other than keep being a good DJ? Oh, yeah. You guys are getting go better. Make fun of us. <laughs> go make fun of us in yeah. uh, Apple Podcasts. Leave a review. I mean, make it five stars, but feel free to make fun of us. Yeah. That is the price of making fun of us. <laughs> you have to leave the five stars. <laughs> then you Then you get to go fully 
Nuke, whoever you like. All of us. All right, boys. Good stuff. That's a wrap. Peace. Peace. All right, you little DGens, that's it for today. I hope you enjoyed. Head to alfalfapod.com for all of our links and socials. And if you want some real alpha, head to collectiveshift.io and join thousands of members getting the latest insights and alerts from a team of expert research analysts all there to help you create more wealth and freedom through crypto. And don't forget to use our discount code alfalfa for 50% off your first month. Until next time, see you then. Peace.